For this episode, I'm going to be talking to Luciano, um, who's quite well known for his work with Children of Ash, a project that he's heavily involved with, and, uh, and Lars, who is an archaeologist in Denmark, and they've been working a lot together on um, just deepening their understanding of Viking art. And I have to say, like, I've, it's completely blown my mind, my mind, some of the things that Luciano has uh, revealed to, to me of what he's found in Viking art. And it's had a deep impact on me after, you know, 10 years of, of uh, practicing Viking art and studying it, you know, in my tattoo work. So uh, in this talk as well, as always, I found it incredibly interesting to hear what uh, what these guys had to say on it and their findings. For instance, we talk quite a, uh, quite deeply about the yelling style, which is one of the, the middle Viking Age art styles. So uh, before we get into this, I will just say uh, it is... it's. It's um you know we make a point of really going in depth into some of the this stuff. So if you aren't aware of the different Viking art styles, then I suggest that you head over and uh, maybe type in on Google Viking art styles and have a brief look at the different styles through the timeline. It's it's a bit crude what you will find out there, but it's better to have some sort of an insight into what we're talking about than absolutely nothing. So uh, yeah, let's do this. So I am here with Luciano and Lars. Uh, so um, we'll start off by if you guys could introduce yourselves first of all with what you do. Uh, I'll start with you, Luciano. Hi. Um, well, oh, it's a bit complicated. To, I mean, I am an artist, uh, a tattooer, and uh, a long-time uh, Viking reenactor. And I have taken into researching Viking art uh, a few years ago, and it start and it got to become my one of my main activities. Nice. Well, we'll be elaborating on a, on a lot more of that then. Lars, could you tell us about yourself? Yeah, I'm a field archaeologist at a small museum in southern Denmark called Sønderskov. And because I've been in charge of excavating a large gold hoard called the Fæstet Hoard, I'm a, I've been specializing in the styles because I have to understand the styles to understand what I'm excavating, really. So for a while, I've been looking very much into the yelling style, and from there, I've developed my interests. And through that, I've learned Luciano to know. So that's, nice. that's my intro to this, and I'm a reenactor as well, actually. I hear that you guys met each other because you were interested in Luciano's tattoo work after seeing his uh, his intense study of the Viking artwork and incorporating that into his into his tattoo work. Yeah, that's true. Actually, uh, when I started looking into tattoos, uh, I I my my how do you say what when I having a tattoo, I want I it's because of memories. I'm not very good at remembering, by but by having tattoos, I. I get these memories of what I've been doing through my life. And Luciano is the only one in Denmark who is doing the original styles, uh, speaking the language of the styles. And given that I am very interested in these styles, then I have to do it right when I'm doing it. So that's why I've, that's why I picked Luciano and that's why we learned each other to know. Yeah. 
Well, I'm just going to take this moment to elaborate on what it is that I think you're saying there. That Because I know Luciano has been doing a horrific amount of work into the micro details of what make these styles. And also sort of taking out his own personal artistic preferences. Not preferences, but... Um, his inner artist and just speaking the language of the, 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 the artist of, that worked in the past. Yeah, that sounds right. So, so, uh, I think that, 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 you know, we should elaborate on what that is then because, um, Luciano, I've been lucky enough to talk with you on many occasions now about some of these, um, the vocabulary, uh, of, of, uh, these Viking art styles. Mm-hmm. So could you, would you just elaborate on, on those a little bit? Well, um, yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting subject because, uh, well, through through our work with uh, with Lars, because we were researching some specific uh, designs he wanted to do, I started to to look into the the particular uh, uh, details of certain styles and. They started to, you know, as we were proceeding, these these uh, styles were, yeah, well, were starting to fall apart in smaller smaller groups, and uh, it soon through research, you know, we're going beyond the tattooing thing because it started to become uh, a passion. Uh, we started to realize that, yeah, we were not talking about styles as had been classified in uh, in books and uh, and yeah academically uh, like a few decades ago but uh, they broke down in smaller groups and uh, that were very probably connected with workshops with specific groups of people that had a specific kind of um, of style of their or sub style of their own, and uh, from there you actually can can spot the the connections between the style the these these workshops. So you, you what you end up is not with uh, six styles, but with a huge network of workshops that have been uh in touch or have heard of or have seen some work by you know uh, uh, by other workshops and have been influenced and you can actually spot the details of that so that's pretty much how it developed yeah it is really interesting to think about how that whole idea of master and apprentice and so on how that would have influenced artworks that would have traveled across the you know this well the viking world uh, since that's the time period we're talking about and everything and how how uh, people could have uh, possibly joined other workshops or even just visited there to use it when they were passing through or whatever and left their mark and on uh or like you say how how items could have ended like a passing tradesman could have bought something or sold something to a workshop and then it inspired them to try and keep up with the times as well as the idea of royal workshops as well. So just on that on that subject, would you um, would you tell me what what you guys think about like say some of those um, those top workshops that were the the archetypes for the styles? 
I can I can do my entry to it uh, because that's actually what I, I at some point I'm to write a PhD in some of this. Uh, it's it's the the connection with the dynasties and especially the Yelling dynasties. That means Gon the Old and his son Harold Bluetooth. And my entry to this is really that by studying the styles and the distribution of the styles, especially especially the unique works, we should be able to see the development of especially the Danish kingdom and how the alliances spread out. So you, you see the development of the early Denmark really and how it developed in this dynasty called the Yelling dynasty. And it's quite evident that we see these workshops in the larger Danish cities, that's Heidebu and uh, for some parts uh, Vibor up north and it's uh, parts of Ribe where we see the molds for these pieces. And those are cities that were controlled by the early kings. So there is a clear connection between these very elaborate workshops that use granulation and filigree especially to, to do the patterns of what they want to do. And in this workshop, it seems like they were doing some specific uh, sets of jewelry that the, the king's alliances, uh, the, 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 kings, the friends of the kings could wear to represent his power in the local communities. So that's my entry to it, really. So studying these royal workshops is what I'm doing. I hope so, it makes sense. Yeah. Well, it does to me. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, in specific, we were, you know, we talked about it with Lars a lot, uh, for a long time. It's 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 a specific kind of jewelry. I mean, it's I think it's it has to do with with uh, with sets of jewelry because they're also the crosses connected to them. So it's exactly. you were talking about a, a, a larger set of. Uh, of pieces that uh, yeah. they found the the, the molds of in uh, Hedebu and then they you know they found the actual pieces around Scandinavia so uh, yeah exactly and specifically some brooches with filigree on top which so they the the molds that they found is of the basement or basing base of the of the brooch, and then on top of that, or the whole, f all the beasts were were made in, in filigree, either of silver or gold. I heard the idea of there been like blanks, uh, almost of like like I think that you're alluding to here, like the idea of let's just say a blank Thor's hammer, and that then the metal workers could purchase them or whatever, and then ornament them themselves in their own fashion. Do you think that that was a thing? Can I answer this? Okay. Uh, not really. It seems like uh, that they were created at the same spot by one uh, smith, really, a silver worker, gold worker. And we see uh, less elaborate molds at less elaborate uh, sites. But the most elaborate works are at the royal sites, really. So there is a connection between the very elaborate stuff and the less elaborate works. And, and these blanks are just because they were blanks. It, it's because it's actually not good work. It's just because it was shaped like that when being created by, uh, how do you say, the melting process, really. Yeah. Is there um, a possibility that, uh, let's just say that um, they had a blank for, let's just say, a Thor's hammer, and that they made 50 of those and then ornamented them in different ways within one workshop? Mm. 
with, with filigree or granulation or how do you mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, because every one of them will become unique afterwards, really. Uh, they are within the same overall shape, uh, but they will be decorated uh, by hand uniquely afterwards. So yes, that is, that's a thing. But the amount of uh, these works in granulation and filigree are there are there are not that many really so it's just because they are so well known in comparison i would say i don't have a, a proper number but in denmark the metal detector archaeologists find one thor summer maybe per week or second week we only have i don't know i don't i'm not even sure we have one in denmark with filigree or granulation yet mm. so it, it it doesn't add up really yeah so, so what, what basically what we've been talking about and about this these sets they that they were not like um you you shouldn't think about them as a sort of industrial you know jewelry production yeah certainly at this level they, they didn't want to flood the market i imagine but that, but they they had a different you know the, the 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 specimens the sets that we are talking about were connected to the royal houses were uh, had a, a different a purpose they were actually made for marketing marketing the 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 the, the kingdom so mm. so branding the, the 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 name and it looks that you know it's as the more the kingdom got consolidated, the less important this was. You know, just correct me if I'm wrong. It it seemed no, like it's, with it's late. fully true because it stops with the uh, the end of the Rengerike style, really. Uh, and in earnest, it doesn't exist at all. This 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 thing where you show off your connection with the kings through the styles and the presence. So no, you're right. How do you think that people would have uh, connected these items to the new power then? If um, was it literally just that they were that impressive that they would never, you know, they wouldn't have seen anything like it, or was there, you know, because obviously we know that there's a particular language to these styles. Would the viewers have recognized the style, or would they just be impressed with what they see? I'm quite confident that they would. Uh aware of what they were seeing because the change of the styles happens so fast here in Denmark especially uh, and it does seem like that when the use of for instance yelling style disc brooches are done by by this thing of showing your connection to the king when 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 gone the, the the older died it does seem like his things were just thrown to the ground uh, by as a becoming a horde really and then uh, the mammon style and the other styles developed afterwards quite fast. Mm. So it's like uh, Harold was the son of Gorm, and he had his relationship to the to Gorm was not that good, so he was in a hurry to to create a new style to show what he was doing. He was he was the new king. He had he had a wish of showing this by creating a new style that he showed off quite fast in Denmark. So uh, obviously now it's just speculation because we don't have any evidence for this then. But do you think those, uh, the um, the artwork that is that where it's what we're talking about here, uh, do you think that that would have been, or what other mediums do you think that would have been expressed through as well, that we no longer have? I'm not sure I understand this question. 
So say we're talking about uh, the yelling style. Mm. The yelling, um, the artwork is on very small pieces of uh, very small pieces of metal. Either way that we have, do you think that this would have been expressed on on, on a larger canvas that would have been more visible to people in any form? Yes, very much so. We see it on uh, wooden works and stones in the later periods especially but it, it it's it's very much shown on other canvases so so it's, it's the middle thing with the gold and the silver is just a thing to show alliances really so it's it's also says, written in the sagas in the texts that the king or the, the the top of society would give a ring to the ones below him in the in the herd uh, i'm not sure that's the proper english word but but his his followers really they would get a ring of gold or something like that and so it's it is actually described in the text that these uh, presents were given among the, the extremely rich and the, the ones below so the use of other canvases is definitely also a thing yeah also the the, the there is a whole uh, you know like in yelling style specifically there is a number of uh, of uh, horse uh, harness bows that uh, display the specific styles. Actually, they 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 they're quite interesting as objects because you can actually spot the 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 development of the of the within yelling style. So there's a, a horse harness bows from uh, from Mammon uh, that are in very early yelling style, and then you there is the celestial. Um, harness bow is in very mature, very you know com- accomplished uh, yelling style, and on the discs, they, you know, like these uh, these homages, you know, these these uh, alliance uh, marketing uh, devices in silver and gold, uh, with uh, they, they they had specific um, yes, yeah, specific symbology. They they were devised in two. Uh, three even four beasts either in silver and gold so presumably they actually um, you know indicated the importance of the of the subject to the king in that sense mm. you know so there is a lot of uh, and in and what we found out together with Lars because I started uh, you know putting these these disc brooches next to each other and I, I started uh, dissecting the, the 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 yeah the design structure and they it was very very similar but there were some differences uh, actually three different uh, points in that indicated that uh, there was a development uh, from in in within the style. So within Yelling, you're talking about from from very early to to very late, and there is a, a number of points uh, from from the the sharpening of the ribbon in some parts, the extension of some uh, you know the, the 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 side tracking of some ribbons in the in the beast like hooks. And stuff which in the early style is not present at all, uh, and uh, the transformation of the the hip from uh, you know from a sort of chicken uh, uh, thigh into an actual spiral, which which starts to be visible by the end of the you know the yelling style. 
So there's several uh, points that indicate the, the the sequence of of the developments in the within the style. So you actually we we actually can pretty much tell uh, which uh, of these disc brooches was uh, was produced first and what next. And consequently, it's likely that we can just pretty much have an idea of the sequence of alliances. Wow. That's very cool. So where would you place the um, the yelling cup then? Where would you uh, place that within the development of the style? I would put it pretty early, really. It's, it's quite particular as a, a piece. Uh, because it's made in a bit of a different way as it usually is. I don't know. It's 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 hard to tell. I, I actually, I, strangely enough, I didn't think too much about the yelling cup in that uh, in that sense. Um, yeah, I've always I've always personally thought it's it's quite it's quite a crude execution of the artwork compared to how it's displayed on some other things. It's not. I mean, it, I know. I. Well, I, yeah. I, I. It's not. It's not one of my favorite items from. Uh, you know, that's been found <laughs> out the ground. But that's me. Yeah, but that's yeah. Let's yeah. I understand. It's uh, yeah. It looks a bit. You know, it's it doesn't look so. So aesthetically accomplished in that sense, but that's that's not really necessarily a parameter for that. I mean, it's like the yeah, there there are, you know, uh, hooks and uh, you know there, there are some characteristics that put it not to the very very early part of the style because actually there's like a spiral, you know, hip spirals, which is a very late development. It's also made in a in an unusual technique uh, if you compare it to the to the filigree uh, part of you know yeah of yelling so uh am i correct in saying that that was found in gormley gormley uh, the elders uh, burial mound and it was the only item uh, found in there in the grave yeah no, it's what it was robbed, so we don't know. The oh yeah, I know the grave was 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 robbed, but I think that's the only thing that was left behind. That's what I heard. Uh, there are some belt uh, pieces as well, also in Yelling style, which are very elaborate. Uh, okay. And there is a small cross actually, a cross-shaped pendant, and then uh, when they re-excavated the robbery hole, they were able to go down into the original chamber, and actually the inner sides of the panels, wooden panels were decorated in with human figures and some primitive uh, I'm not really primitive but the, the interpretations of the works became primitive really so they didn't understand what they were seeing but you see wooden panels painted in what could be yelling style actually no way I have not seen that I need to I need to to try and see that it's not it's not well known actually it's it's basically published in a shitty book <laughs> Yeah. Uh, not, not shitty but not that well known book and it's not that thoroughly um, written actually sadly enough so there's a new project made by the National Museum of Denmark which is uh, trying to 
I'm not. It's it's hard to say do better, but I'm pretty certain that it will become better than the earlier works. Do you know anything about uh, what what colors were used in the in the painting? Uh, a red is as an ochre red is quite. Is one of the more often used colors. Then there are some shades of what I would describe as pale yellow, but you also have to consider that these panels were taken out in the 1800s, if I recall correctly. So the restoration has been not, it was not conducted very gentle. So I'm not certain that the colors has been saved in a proper way. Shame. Uh, yeah, it is. Uh, but I'm pretty certain that that's within the new, uh, how to say, within the new works that the National Museum is trying to do is to reconstruct the, the colors, for instance. Yeah, I think there's something I always like to try and stress whenever I'm talking about uh, uh, the visual, um, the visuals of the Viking, the Viking Age in general. Really, that like you know when it came to the aristocracy, especially, they would have been very colorful, and it was not like uh, many shades of brown like it is in the show Vikings, for instance. But, no, it's, it's true. It's very true. Yeah. Especially, especially among uh, the elite or the, the higher parts of society. You would see a lot of colors. And actually, we see a lot of new finds every day here in Denmark because of these amateurs with detectors. So it's, it's almost like when, when the Terslev styles arise in Denmark, it, the use of pendants becomes very uh, normal, it seems. Uh, and, and these pendants are not made in uh, bronze as we see them today. They are actually uh, tinned or covered in white metal, white metal on the back and gold on the front. So they would shine from every angle you would see them. And that seems to be very important with these pieces. That's interesting. Yeah. Hmm. So Luciano, uh, I know you've done a lot of work into the origins of the styles. Uh, I've heard you mention many times that that Gotland would have been a big contributor to almost the 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 hipsters of the Viking Age setting. The <laughs> absolutely, definitely, yeah. yeah, yes, they they were very very influential. But they started being influential before the Viking Age. Uh, to they had an in you know, international business very likely in uh, in slave trade and uh, their wealth probably attracted a lot of uh, of uh, craftsmen and uh, that you know um, consolidated in uh, in workshops that uh, that probably had quite a high repute and I, at the moment, I'm actually investigating a connection that I'd already noticed, but it's becoming more and more. I actually talk to you about it uh, every once in a while. I I bring some, uh, you know, some um, Celtic, um, um, you know, Celtic-like uh, pieces from Norway that I find yeah. in the database and. Uh, there is this interesting connection between Gotland and Norway, and uh, yeah, the British Isles, maybe, uh, maybe Ireland. It's it looks from what uh, the pieces are like, 
and it's uh, yeah, and it's a very solid one because it's it's uh, it's based very much on the technique uh, that was used in, uh, and it you know it generated the first uh, first Viking styles. And uh, well, I looked into how it was constructed, and the very, very struct, you know, con the very basics of the knotwork that we are, you know, used to see in Viking art, which is very organic, much, much, much freer in a way than the monastic uh, Celtic work from the British Isles. It it actually find seems to find its base in in the actual technique of uh, of metalworking, you know, and uh, of exceptionally small pieces. By the way, it's uh, it's incredible the way they are done. I mean, we I was actually I spoke to Eric. Uh, about it, we had a discussion about how how they could be made because they we it's like uh, in in particular now I'm I'm looking into the the um, uh, broa horde that uh, gives the name to the to the to the broa style the first uh, of Viking styles if if that at all because it's you know in in some. In some academic books, it's actually placed in uh, in the Vendel period, uh, so it's pretty much across these two styles. And and, and from what, what I've been looking into, it's actually the technique that uh, that made this uh, that actually influenced the the shapes and how they they actually became the way they were. Uh, it's it's a it's a relatively long period for a for what we know as Viking styles, which you know ranged between say fifty seventy five years, Lars. Yeah, give or take. Per, per, give or take. Yeah, give or take. And this one was quite yeah, quite a bit longer, uh, and it actually you know goes back into. Uh, into yeah, it's a it's it's a, it's a long, long brewing um, a process that um, that gave origin to to bra style and bra style has a pretty much all the characteristics that you see in uh, in the later styles. They, they it looks as if they looked back and they picked certain parts of that styles in a way or other. You know, it's it's a sort of matrix of all styles. It's it's amazing it's, uh, how it's uh, constructed. So, I think it's worth saying at this point that like one of the defining features of Viking art is the obsession with the Triskel knot and the angles within the Triskel. Um, Definitely, that yes. Su uh, subdivision of the of the Trinity uh, within mm -hmm. within it, and that's that's something where. Um, you know, after talking to you a lot, lot about this, and then looking at the the artwork that's expressed in the Viking Age, uh, you know, it was one of those. It was very sad to to realize that I'd been touching on it for a long time through my career, but I hadn't quite got it down in that sense. Um, but that, you know, 
that's the thing, isn't it? It's all about uh, exploration and um, trying to better yourself with uh, with your understanding of of all of the stuff because there there isn't a handbook uh, as of yet, which I I know that you're probably going to be working on creating at some point. <laughs> Absolutely, and I think that that's also a point that's 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 now that it's a it's a good point to say about the whole thing of not only have I been uh you know within my artwork i have so so with this newfound knowledge that i have um i still don't make a point within my current artwork now of just trying to make it super traditional because um you know it depends on on what i'm doing with uh with my clients of who i'm tattooing and that's also one of the things Lars, i think you were alluding to with some of the uh the other tattooers in denmark as well is that this idea of what Viking artwork is is still uh, in development, and especially since it's been getting reconstructed from the bottom up out of nothing. Where I think I was talking with oh, it was either with Colin uh, Colin Dale who taught all that about this of the idea that Viking artwork in the sixties or seventies was horned, helmeted, muscular men in furry boots you know with their chest out and how it's taken a long time to sort of develop through everything to get to you know a, a better understanding of it and obviously i'm not saying that, that like every um every artist out there should be you know trying to eliminate their own aesthetics out of this it's just very interesting to know that you know the the you guys are defining the vocabulary of what is viking art it's very it's it's very complicated. I mean, it's like it's it's complicated for us as well. I mean, as I'm uh, as I'm studying deeper in, into this, I mean, it's like um, I I was fascinated by Viking art for a long time, and and I and I had a, a number of intuitions about it, uh, but now I'm just actually proving certain points. Um, and the main point that you, yeah, that connects very much with with what you're saying, with with what the tours uh, need to do and want to do, etc. It's it also connects with what I have been doing. Um, the the hard part is that to to actually understand Viking art, you need to change your aesthetic point of view. You need to break down your aesthetic. Uh, you know, you know, basic view the way you 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 look at things. You have to eliminate that first, and then you and then you start looking into some something else, something that is not not what you are you are used to. You know, like they didn't they didn't see symmetry. We talked about this before, as we see it. You know, we we were born into a you know, into an aesthetic point of view that, you know, views uh, mirror symmetry as perfection. They saw it as something to avoid, pretty much. They 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 loved balance, but they, they just shunned uh, perfect mirror symmetry. That, that already is difficult to make, yeah, to make a client uh, digest, you know. It's like this. This has to be different on both sides. But it's you know, it's my two shoulders. They have to be exactly the same. But it's like, from the point of view of a Viking, it's it, you know, it shouldn't. 
it actually shouldn't. And that's only one one of the things that you need to break down. I mean, it's like it's, it's a bit like you 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 know the first podcast you had here was with Neil Price, and actually he's been a great um, inspiration for both me and Lars. And pretty much what we have uh, what we try to do is to actually enter the the head of these people. So what you, the first thing you need to do when you go into this this kind of art and actually try to understand it from their point of view, not from what we like about it and what we find interesting, but what they saw in it. You need to eliminate your own aesthetic point of view, which you know. You, re- you need to realize that it's based on a Christian point of view, whether you're Christian or not. Or not. The majority of the art that is connected with, with, you know, with the epics that people love and like to see in, uh, in tattoos, it's very, very Christian. It's not Christian in themes necessarily, but it's Christian in the way it's depicted. It's actually what I'm doing right now with the first uh, first style of Viking art is actually picking into into something that goes way before Christianization, um, a complete different aesthetic point of view. They, you know, it's like uh, our Christian legacy, and you know that that rested on the the on the Greek-Roman uh, depiction of life and afterlife and everything that is, you know, is depictable, really. It's like monsters or, you know, the, the nightmares, you can have any, anything. We have this view that it, it has to be depicted in a sort of way that we, you know, we can make hand, heads and tails of it, you know, as we look at it. And their point of view from the first, you know, the, in the first style, in the bro style, is that they, they didn't think so. They thought that they had a, a sort of visual humility of thinking, uh, we are um, reaching out into a, a spirit world that is not, that, that it's very different from ours. So why should it have our our own rules? So in their depictions, you see a sort of bridge form, you know. So like it's a it's a bridge depiction. You can see certain features, you know, that are recognizable as a lion's leg or a, you know a bird's uh, uh, you know uh, posture and and things, but. But the, the, the specific features of the heads and, and stuff are you know, like totally distorted, as you, as you would expect in a, in, in a dimension that is not our own. Yeah, I think that that's, that's a, it's very interesting to see that through, uh, you know, through so many time periods, that that ability to, because, you know, some people can have a tendency to look at look at these and think like oh well it's, you know they were just trying to draw animals badly whatever but then when it came to them drawing you know a horse and a rider they do it they do it spot on so so it shows that they do have the ability to do realism if they choose to they're just choosing to do things in a psychedelic way exactly yeah i think as well it's it is it is one of those things like you say that the idea of uh of you know you can you 
can train yourself to well we are already trained by the world that we live in now to to view things with certain aesthetics and and then when people um you know look at uh look at the ancient stuff they they you know like one that i hear a lot every time i sort of suggest to some you know to people like let's let's put a bit of uh, something like bora style in there of the 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 crazy little smiling monkey beasts you know strangling themselves mm-hmm. and strangling their friends um you know <laughs> you know because I, I i really i really love working with that style i think it's it's uh it's one of those that you know when you look up closer the creatures that they are odd and uncomfortable but but then there's also the the visual effect when you take a step back how you look at it from from a step back it's completely different and the the play that it has on your eyes is you know it's one of those that it's it's uh, what I'm saying is that at first glance that style, you know, just comes across as very peculiar to people. That's something that they they don't understand, uh, and I think that something I've been thinking about a lot a lot within art recently is when I look at stuff from the past. I I I think that there's usually a good reason it was getting created in the first place because someone spent time making stuff, and that you know it's important to try and figure out that language of why it was getting done and what they were trying to say with this stuff. But also the, I think there's the idea that there are some artists out there just as there are now that I don't like their aesthetics. I don't like their aesthetics now when there's some pieces from the past. I don't like their aesthetics then. Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. But there again, those ones aren't going to catch on as much if, if the broader population doesn't like them. Of course. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, what what I found interesting is, uh, for example, in the that you know through the style there there seemed to have been a sort of minimum um, common denominator um, for certain recognizable forms. You can see it very well in. Uh, in the rune stone or the picture stones between Ringerike and Ernest, um, you can see very, very sharp uh, trend makers. I mean, it's like very, very, very good artists, you know, that know their proportions, their, their uh, you know, stylistic shapes, the, you know, the swoosh, as Erica, Eric uh, calls it. Uh, yeah. perfectly and so I would call it poetic flow. yeah exactly <laughs> but he's got a very more <laughs> very basic way of uh, describing things I, I like it a lot yeah. no I like and, it too it's good and um, you see yeah you see those you know trendsetters and you see also others that are really really bad one of the you know one of the big names in uh, in Ernest style is this Opie that had this very weird uh, heads of beasts with uh, with eyes that were turned around as you know like as in a drop that as normally is in one direction with a point forward he had them with a point backwards very strange heads and he did a lot of them you know and i really don't like his style at all absolutely <laughs> and there are some uh, some others some some others that were absolutely absolutely very 
you know, lowly skilled. But what's very interesting about them is that you can always spot what they meant. So very unskilled uh, craftsmen just, I don't know, some, I don't know how, but they knew how to give an idea of the, of what they meant. You know, their, their, you know, their relationship to these higher standards made by these trendsetters. You know, there is this connection, you know, they didn't, didn't go completely, you know, their own way and started making stickmen, for instance. They, you know, they were very crude, the, the beast heads and etc. But they, but you can actually tell what they meant. They didn't have the actual yeah. ability to refine them so well, but they, it's it's interesting how they, you know, they they had a connection amongst each other. You know, the 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 more talented and the less talented. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I always think that's kind of interesting where you see, like, within tattoo work, where someone has tried to to do a, you know, a viking inspired tattoo for the first time and they've not done any research before it in any way and they just go at it and it just it just looks like spaghetti madness mm -hmm. to me <laughs> but there again you know it's because i i have quite high standards of what i want to what i want to see but, yes yeah. of course of course but i mean it's like it's you know it's it's even it's even more complicated because these these people that just you know give it a shot they they both have a different aesthetic system and no knowledge of the of the refined work, so it's it's completely out you know out there. So yes, of course, it will look very 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 weird, very out there and disconnected. So, mm -hmm. Lars, can you uh, can you elaborate some more on the idea of these uh, rock star trendsetter artists in their day in the Viking Age? The thing is, we don't know that much about them, really. We just know where they were situated and that were in the the, the cities that were under the control of the dynasties, really. So that, that's the major cities. Furthermore, we see some traces of their work, at least, or their moles at the what we consider royal farmsteads or royal farms. And, and these sites are emerging in pretty much all parts of at least Denmark at the moment, where we have the most important at the, what's called Tisø, the Lake of Tyr. Uh, and I'm excavating a site called Fæsted slash Harvey, which means the sacred city. Uh, and at those sites where we see the tendency to that, that, that are considered sacred sites, it, that's also the places where the smiths were doing their work and so we 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 tend to see them as traveling with the the kings really so they were part of the inner circle if we can say that and that's pretty much all we know in in the later parts in the early medieval periods we tried we, we start to see the names of them but we do not know any names in in the viking era and that's a bit peculiar because we know some names at least of the, the coin makers and they were taken in from abroad uh, in Hyderby we we think at least some of the, the workers were taken from 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 abroad as well they were actually kidnapped it seems uh, from if I recall correctly Dorstel in 
in Friesland, really, uh, that, that city were destroyed and the Danish king took in all of the workers. And a part of them seems like they have been, they were becoming a part of, of the, the, the team that traveled with the kings. So we, we don't know much more than that. There is some, uh, I mean, it's like talking about rock stars. If you, if you look at the, I mean, in, in the, the, the only thing we know about the early styles in that sense is what you see at Oseberg pretty much. True. Those, they look, you know, they are very distinct uh, workshops working there. And they are very high quality, pretty much all of them. And you can actually see from the connections from different parts of their structure and their technique, uh, shapes, uh, you know, workshop connections that, uh, yeah, you can pretty sure, be pretty sure that some came from Norway. And as we said before, there was a connection with Gotland. Uh, pretty sure that some of these rock stars that were actually hired by the two uh, magic ladies of uh, Oseberg uh, came from uh, from Gotland. They they could pick pick and choose the rock star they wanted. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Yes, and all the the objects that came were. That that they were found at Oseberg, were you know except except the burial chamber were were actually used before. So both the ship ship was I don't know fourteen years old uh, when it was uh, buried, and uh, the sleds were also old, probably older. The ca the car the wagon was probably from yeah even more than that. Uh, it's been suggested. But all of these, uh, yeah. The, the ship, the ship was uh, built of Norwegian wood, wasn't it? Yes, but from a different yeah. area of Norway. Of Norway, actually, from the very west coast, they found actually an island where the wood comes from. Well, it's impressive that they yeah. uh, they can um, mark that down. But that you know, because a lot of what we've talked about so far suggests that. Um, one of the main innovators right currently what we're talking about is Gotland and uh, but the, a lot of the action is happening in Denmark but this also shows that especially in the early Viking Age there was a lot going on on the west coast of Norway as well definitely as actually I think it's 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 a matter of uh, the laws laws on, on the detector archaeology in every country really uh, we are very uh, is uh, liberal about the use of detectors here in Denmark, so that means we are seeing a very high amount of new finds, as I said, every day. And in Norway, they do not have as strict rules as they do in Sweden, but in Sweden, it's almost impossible to use a metal detector. And that means at the moment, they are not seeing a development in their understanding of the sites and the finds that are supposed to be found at those sites. So at some point, if they become more liberal, they will see the same development really. So. In my mind, I think at some point we'll start seeing uh, simultaneously developments of the styles, and that, and that also shows this traveling tendency of the the metal workers. In my mind, at least. Well, there's certainly a lot of uh, evidence of that through the brooches that have been found, uh, Luciano. I know you've done a lot of work on that. Yes, 
Absolutely. Well, I mean, certain certain styles seem to actually have touched more certain certain regions. I mean, it's like I've been, you know, they 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 were threatening to close down an archive, so I'm actually downloading a gazillion images from Norway, from this archive. I just put that, you know, downloaded some I don't know three and a half gigabytes of gigabytes of uh, of images, and mostly they are. Uh, Turtle brooches. Uh, so they are a lot. I I I knew uh, mostly from the ones in uh, in Gotland and Birka, but the ones found in Norway are an um, enormous amount, and they you know like and they display you know uh, you know everything between bra style and uh, and boar style. They are they are much more fluid. I mean, it's like and everything up to there uh, seems to have been very widespread in on this line, uh, Gotland, uh, you know, uh, Gotland, Norway. And uh, but the later styles seem to have uh, more connections with with the rise of the. Of the the kingdom in of of Denmark, there's also very very little connection. You know, very uh, for example, there's very little yelling in Norway uh, or or in in Gotland. Pretty much nothing. It's it's as if we, what we were talking about. They were they were actually branding styles. So there, there, there may have been actual regulations yeah. uh, connected to them. There is something in Gotland that resembles a sort of sub mammon style, but you need to really know your stuff very well to actually recognize it as such. They were trying to, you know, it's really, really difficult to... We're really talking about a big network of different uh, things and and the, the problem i mean bra style was actually the sort of initiator of all these things and bra style is it's a bit complex to to actually define because uh, yeah it's a, it's a bit simplistic as as a bit yeah as saying that uh, oseberg is a, is a very uh, clear example because in, in oseberg you see a lot of uh, uh, different uh, trends and different uh, directions. There is those gripping beasts that would, uh, you know, become a very central part of of uh, Bora style. But there are also other uh, forms and directions that are completely disconnected from that. So you can't say that you know gripping beasts are Bora style. It's actually a trend that started earlier. You know. It's um, looking at the the trends that were in um, in Gotland. Actually, I found you know I I got you know started being surprised that there there's not only uh, yeah I was looking at Boris style material, and I started finding sub styles in that. Uh, I th at least two or three. Uh, some more abstract, some more, 
you know that, that there's nothing there's very seems very little to do with uh, with the skill but actually it's a you know was a sort of uh, interpretation of certain things is much much like uh, certain tattooers do with the uh, neo nordic stuff they interpret things in you know the same themes in different you know in in different forms and shapes yeah so some you know so some shapes you know there is one specific um, theme of a human figure like sort of uh, in a sort of lotus <laughs> for position with you know like uh, like sitting uh, with either arms up or you know or, or hair on the side but it's always the same theme and sometimes you can actually recognize it and when it's actually uh, depicted in a in a different by a different school by different you know the same theme uh, but through a different style form, it actually looks so abstract that you couldn't recognize it as such if you didn't know of the same theme in a more figurative form. So, so Boris style is yeah. one of the styles that I'm expecting to actually bring the, the most uh, um, surprises. Uh, it will probably blow up into, into a number of styles. So it's uh, very complicated. <laughs> there's, uh, there's something I've I've come across a few times recently, which is, like say on the the Osselberg Prow, there's the the carvings of the more human-like, uh, you know, depictions, and mm -hmm. then there's within that there's there's the uh, yeah we'll just call them like human-like creatures, and then. Mm -hmm. That they kind of have their legs folded back over them, and they're holding onto the legs, or they're sort of they're very, very strange. Um, but but you know that 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 is a motif that that pops up a few times over in various ways. And um, recently, I've come across a few depictions of it where it's there's there's a one or two where you're unsure if it's legs that are folded back, like uh, you know le you know feet literally touching the ears. Uh, and holding onto them, or if it's birds, and then there's another one that I saw on this this brooch where it's been changed into birds, and then it's sort of a character holding onto two birds either side, but it's very much come from the idea of the legs. Yeah, yeah. So that, it's a, it's a little bit like a Chinese whispers within art. <laughs> yeah, but that, that that's yeah yeah you're totally right. There was a you know there was a different interpretation. Sometimes you see this the exact same theme that you know like as a you know if you if you took off your glasses and couldn't see very well what it was you could pretty much spot that it's the same kind of theme but if you if you look at you know the two different interpretations you go like oh this is birds and this is something else there is a lot of ambiguity uh, you know for you know transformation ambiguity um Another thing I found that was very interesting, that's also interesting for, for us, because I actually got to spot it uh, through uh, the, um, the comments of people. Uh, I looked at these uh, very abstract creatures from the early styles, especially Broer style, and also some of the Oseberg uh, creatures, and 
people look, you know, look at the heads of the beast, the beasts, and they see a face, uh, and through the, you know, the research of how it's structured, that face they see uh, doesn't seem to be uh, the right face. Actually, it's plumage on the head. So there is another face uh, that you can't really see directly. Um, and I thought, okay, that's just our bad interpretation, but it kept on going on and on and on. And generally, the, the functional face and head of the beast is the least visible. Of Generally, you have two, you know, in this kind of creatures, you have two possible faces you know as you know like those those images where you see the the two people kissing in the vase you know so you can actually see yeah you know one head or the other head well i've come to to the conclusion that they actually meant it to be like that they wanted a certain type of you know there was a meaning to the to the ambiguity so both faces you know both the ones that, the one that you spot immediately and the other one that actually you you need to search for they're both there and they have a place there so they in in Oseberg there's a, there's actually you know spelled out there are creatures with through two two bodies three heads you know like you know so like one creature with two bodies and three heads so it's this kind of yeah. multiple facets of beings it's it's also uh, weaved in the you know it's 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 really not only an illustration there's there's some deeper layers going on i've seen some uh some carvings of some creatures that i think are from dublin and they look like they have more sets of eyes than just two eyes as well they almost look like it could just be stylistic but it does look like they're supposed to have uh three or four eyes on each side which is also a little bit odd and there's also that idea of why not you know if that's what they want to do absolutely yeah so there's something i've been uh i've been looking forward to asking you on this because you've been i know you've said a few times about the idea of um so I know you've been like you've already stated or mentioned within this that you you know you can put the defined styles into subcategories within that like uh, especially the evolution within the styles like uh, yelling as mentioned. But are there uh, are there any other um, like dynasties, for instance, of styles of dynasties that aren't recognised that you guys think you know deserve a place in the the history books as well? Can I start? Yeah. yeah, as we at least, I'm not fully understanding the use of the Bohr style yet. Uh, actually, this thing of using these disc fibulas uh, and the sets of uh, jewelries that 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 the Yelling Dynasty used were actually starting already with the the Bohr style, where we have similar disc brooches but with different motives really, and these are found throughout all of Denmark and parts of Sweden at least. But I'm not fully certain which dynasty were using this style, and and that's a struggle to me because 
it does seem like that some Swedes were taking over at least southern parts of Denmark and we see these disc fibulas as well. But it seems like it, that the Jelling dynasty at least were inspired by this use of the Boros diamond, that's how it started. So, but what I'm lacking to know is how it all started with, with, with this Boros style thing. So there is a dynasty that, um, that we are not understanding at all. Yeah, like a pre-yelling uh, dynasty. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Pre-yelling what's going on in Denmark uh, with the kings before. We, we, we simply don't know yet. I suppose it always sort of seemed to me about the idea of the border style almost being used more as the, uh, the more common people style, possibly, as opposed to something so specific. But I mean, saying that, it's very clear that there's that creature within it that is very particular, that you know we don't know what it means. That um, yeah, yeah, I I agree. I think that it could be could be to do with the with the dynasty that we don't know about. But yeah, but but actually, I'm fully certain that the Boer style is also have some very elaborate work, and it it it. I actually showed a new piece to Luciano yesterday, which was just found yesterday. And it has all of the same features as the later styles when, when being created. It has gold, it has silver, it has the use of niello, it has the use of granulation and filigree as well. It has the same tendencies and uses of uh, elaborate works, really. Uh, so it's just a matter of breaking it down to who were the dynasty that started this thing of with the use and, and how far back can we really see this within the, the Byzantine uh, emperors and, and, and the very elite we see the same use of uh, disc fibulas with pendants coming down from the shoulders and, and that's actually what we see here in Denmark as well we're just 500 years later in that process but it seems like that we are looking back into what used to be in, in the antique or not, not antique but the but, but the Byzantine empires, yeah, exactly. Um, so, some sort of renaissance in the use of, of, of jewelry, that it's just, but it's a northern renaissance, really. So we just need to figure out who initiated this process up here. Very interesting. There's also, you know, what, what you were talking about, you know, some parts, uh, some, some sort of jewelry, like some parts of... Uh, uh, bore looking looking like a more simplified kind of uh, things it it also has to do with you know you, you can actually see it in in yelling style as well is that you know there is different well not only yelling style you see you see it in different styles that there is a, a even in earnest style, there is a sort of blueprint. There is the, the, the higher form of these arts. And then there is copies. And uh, the copies don't go, don't, are not just done with lesser skills. Sometimes they, they need to, to copy the, the technique that is used in a, a lesser technical means that they have. So what we you know what what is commonly known you know that you know or, or considered that the in, in the yelling style bodies there is this hatching you know well that hatching is actually a, a, a translation in a, in simple terms of um, filigree 
you know so it's 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 a simplified version of a more precious uh, formula you know of in its higher arts you know and that happened in many many yeah. ways i mean you can actually see see the same kind of shapes that were done in 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 the engraving of the broa style actually translated in in a flat form in uh, in engravings of uh, of antler or ivory in uh, in mammon style for example but they make sense on a technical level in uh, in broad style, but they just translate it into into a into another material, you know. Uh, so sometimes they look a little flatter, a little yeah, dimmer in uh, you know in their royalty, you know. Oh, it's fascinating to hear. It's nice to hear it uh, articulated into into someone. <laughs> So I just thought it'd be nice to elaborate on a little bit how there's some similarity between the idea of what uh so we're talking about the like what we what what you now call new nordic which I think is a is a is a pretty nice term for the uh nordic inspired uh work that's been getting done through tattoo work in the last uh 30 40 years I'm not quite sure how long it is um but something I want to look into more but say within that, like like I mentioned previously, how that's been getting reconstructed from the bottom up. There's also been some, you know, some trendsetters along the way that I, you know, I personally really admire and so on. And they have set their own styles that even now people are copying to various degrees of execution of some doing it well and you know some that have uh, been inspired to do their own thing to some people that are butchering it just as much as it was getting done in the viking age as well so that it's kind of interesting to show that some things don't change absolutely all right well that, that's all i wanted to add <laughs> but yeah, if you got anything you I've, would got, add, I've got a go little piece i was i don't know if i showed you to lars that uh, that piece of uh, that napkin holder from the 1900s that was uh, made in Viking-esque style. I think I'm going to send it to you, uh, to, um, uh, Sean. Uh, you you love it because it's uh, it's it's interesting. It's funny to see something from a hundred years ago with their interpretation, which is just as far from the original as yeah as the new Nordic uh, things are. You know, there is this. You know, different aesthetic point of view. It's kind of cute to see. Yeah, there's definitely that. You know, there's yeah. uh, these different uh, different things going on. But you know, it's, there's a lot. So there's a lot of things uh, to this to this new Nordic thing. Maybe we should talk about it another time. It's quite interesting. I mean, I think I like I like also. I find it interesting that it's that the tattooing of this neo-nordic thing has also influenced uh, um the uh, the idea of this nostalgic nostalgic look uh, to a pre-christian time which in in reality when you're talking about the viking age most most of it mo most of what you know people lo you know uh, pine for uh, is uh, is a, a Christian time really? Um, 
but you know they've got this uh, this idea that you know before Christianity you know men were more uh, you know freer in their connection with nature and everything you know this kind of and and yeah I, f- I find it quite interesting how tattooing in a way has also influenced uh, uh, the the you know which uh, periods were picked through through this pagan history from you know the bronze age and then the viking age but very little in between for example you know there's a couple of you know celtic you know uh, hot spots but you know the rest you know like the migration period is uh, on a very low pitch and things like that for example when I, when i get somebody interested in what i do with children of ash uh, they said, "Oh, very interesting. What you're doing is like, are you going to do any um, petroglyph art?" And I go, "I do Viking art. It's nothing. You know, it's like, it's if I did modern art, it would be much more connected, you know, to you know, to Viking art than than the petroglyphs. It's 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 quite interesting how these periods were chosen into into the sort of." You know, in imaginary. I mean, it's like it's, it's it was the same in uh, you know in the eighteen hundreds where they you know where they invented lots of these cults and this idea as the the Volknut, you know, the the knot of the fallen, you know, giving it specific names, you know. So they had this imaginary world, but there is a modern one that is you know that that connects certain parts of history. In a in an interesting fashion, it's I think it's it's quite yeah. uh, fascinating, really. I think it's the it's the same idea as say the Druids and Stonehenge, how say petroglyphs and uh, you know the petroglyph stuff done that done in the Bronze period, Bronze Age period, mm-hmm. and the uh, the Viking Age, how it just goes under a banner of Nordic. And you could throw in, you know, some of the Icelandic later, you know, stave root, um, you know, uh, stave magic stuff as well, mm-hmm. and how that all just gets grouped up into just Nordic. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, I, 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 that, it's it's a, you know, it's one of those things. I mean, that's it's it's wonderful to have like a you know a, a romanticism that attracts people to to it all, but then there's a. You know, it's also one of those as you get a bit deeper, it's, you know, there's a point I feel where, you know, if you've been into it for a while, it's kind of, I, you know, I think it's nice to get a little deeper into the understanding of it and to, you know, part, uh, mentalize it a little more. Well, it's also the interesting thing is that, you know, what we, that's, that's the, the, the main thing that made, that attracted me in the first place when I started doing reenactment. When I started doing reenactment, I was very young. And I had I was full of these ideas of chivalry and a hero on you know on the horse with a sword and etc. And then as I started to discover things, I started to you know find that that what was actually there to be found was much more interesting than yeah. my imaginary thing. You know there 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 are things that are hidden in there. That uh, that actually go much further, you know, are much more mind blowing than uh, than you know just the epics 
of it. You know, they're epic in a, it's a totally different, surprising way. You know, it actually, in some in some ways, you actually, you know, you get so deep into things. You know, like looking at symmetry and the aesthetics that you get the 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 idea that you're so deep into the Viking mind that you can just turn around and see yourself. You know, see how they would have seen us. And that's way more fascinating than any modern epic, you know, with an axe at the at the metal concert. You know what I mean? I mean, it's it, I, I can see the, the 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 fascination, but that is mind blowing. It's just like you know, entering, you know, as if as if for a second you can actually touch an individual over there. You know. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I think. Uh... I think we'll leave her at that for for this point then if I, if you if you guys are cool with that cool. and um absolutely and I mean uh depending on how busy you guys are in the future uh if anyone has any questions that they would like us to elaborate on maybe we could get together and talk 